Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. WSBT Radio Studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a terrific weekend. And thanks for joining us on WSBT Radio for the latest installment of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Monday, November the 13th of 2023. As you just heard, many ways to listen to the program. 960 AM, WSBTradio.com, the WSBT Radio app. And also a video feed of the studio on the Twitch app. Eight minutes after five o'clock, and we welcome you to a brand new game week, the final Notre Dame home game week of 2023. On Saturday, the Fighting Irish will play for the first time since losing to Clemson just about a week and a half ago. After a bye week, Notre Dame is home to take on the four and six Wake Forest Demon Deacons, a team that has lost five of their last six games, including a 26-6 defeat at the hands of North Carolina State on Saturday. They changed quarterbacks in the second quarter. They did not pick up a first down until under six minutes to go in the second quarter. They didn't score a point until the fourth quarter. This is definitely a Wake Forest team that has taken a major step back from what we have seen the last few years. Now, when you have a quarterback that throws 109 touchdown passes for you and he moves on to Notre Dame, that is going to affect the football team. But Wake Forest having quite the struggle. And again, enter South Bend having lost five of their last six games. For the Irish, they are 7-3. and three. The loss to Clemson, frustration, 
and you got a bye week, and now you come off the bye, and you have two extremely winnable football games to wrap up the regular season against Wake Forest and Stanford. Now, we did find out today that the Notre Dame-Stanford game on Saturday, November 25th, will kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You all know it's going to be right here on WSBT Radio. Television coverage. Is it going to be on Fox? No. ABC? No. FS2 or FS1 or pick your favorite channel? No, 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 no. It's going to be on the last channel you could probably think of. And many of you don't have it. The Pac-12 network, in fact, we're being told this could be the final live football game ever on the Pac-12 network because you're not going to need the Pac-12 network anymore because the Pac-12 is going Adios, except for Washington State and Oregon State. So you heard it right. The Irish are going to be in the Pac-12 network against Stanford November 25th at 7 o'clock. So just reminding you, Paul Burmeister, Ryan Harris will have the call here on WSBT Radio that night. And I think Fubo has the Pac-12 network. I've seen some people list a couple of the places. And consistently, I think, of all the places to get the Pac-12 network, Fubo might be the streaming service that more people get than the others. So, yeah, that's kind of where we are right now. Notre Dame-Stanford on the Pac-12 network. Mm. All right, 11 minutes after 5 o'clock. We may or may not have Tyler Hork at the bottom of the hour from Blue and Gold Illustrated to talk some Notre Dame football, as he does every Monday. I think he is listing himself as a game-time decision at 5.30. We'll be talking about Marcus Freeman's press conference today. He met the media today and was asked some really good questions about the offense. And we're going to play back those comments, and you're going to hear a lot of the same thing. It's about the execution and not the play-calling and the strategy. So just preparing you. Also coming up on the program this evening, we're going to be joined by Ryan Lightfoot, assistant men's basketball coach at Western Carolina. Western Carolina was at Purcell Pavilion on Saturday and beat Notre Dame 71-61. For basketball fans in the area, you know Ryan as the all-time leading scorer in Northwood history, 2,000-point scorer at Bethel College, of course, the son of Hall of Fame basketball coach Mike Lightfoot. So I had the chance to talk to Ryan earlier today. We had to record the interview because he's got a game tonight in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So we'll ask Ryan about the win over the Fighting Irish, what he took away from facing Notre Dame, what Irish fans maybe have to look forward to down the line as this team continues to grow, and also just growing up the son of a Hall of Fame coach and working for – a guy out in Grand Canyon University in Bryce Drew. So a lot to talk about with Ryan. We'll get to that conversation right around 6.05 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And we will wrap up the two-hour program with our sports wagering segment. I went 5-5 five and five in my 10-pack of Friday picks. So, you know, not great. Like to do better than that. We've got four picks for you tonight. Three from Monday Night Football and the college basketball game. That's going to start at 6.30, so I'll give my pick now because once we get to the pick segment, the game will have started. College basketball tonight, my fourth sports wagering pick is St. John's laying one and a half 
against Michigan at Madison Square Garden. I'm going to take Patino getting back to the garden with St. John. So we have that on the way here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics here on WSBT Radio. We begin with the possibility of Notre Dame grabbing a quarterback out of the transfer portal. Marcus Freeman hinted at the fact a little over a week and a half ago that they were going to use the bye week to try to conclude whether they needed to dip back into the transfer portal for another quarterback like they did last offseason, picking up Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. Now you've got Steve Angeli, you've got Kenny Minchie, you've got C.J. Carr as an early enrollee this spring. So he'll get extra time with the offense. So those are your choices unless you go back to the portal. So after spending some time during the bye week discussing with his coaching staff what to do, Here's what Marcus Freeman told us today about the possibility of adding a quarterback from the transfer portal. Yeah, we we will look to add a fourth quarterback um, on scholarship. Who who that is 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 still to be determined. How we get to that fourth scholarship quarterback is still to be determined. Um, We'll look in the portal. We'll look in uh, when the portal opens. We'll look at um, different ways to, to fill that fourth quarterback scholarship. Um, but, yeah, we, we do want to be uh, in a position to have four quarterbacks on scholarship. Uh, okay, so there you go. Back to the portal for another quarterback. As Marcus framed it, he wants a fourth quarterback on scholarship. And that process, you've got to evaluate right now without knowing who's in the transfer portal. You probably have some ideas of who might be available because once the portal opens – That evaluation process has to be done for all these players because if there is someone that is a must-get, you have to be fully prepared if you want to pull the trigger on that player. And if you don't get them, is plan B, C, and D worth bringing in? I think we also have to consider the possibility, not guaranteed, the possibility that you add a player from the transfer portal bringing your quarterback scholarship number to four that someone could leave at that point, bringing you right back down to three. Now, C.J. Carr's just coming in. He'll sign in about a month, early enrollee. Let's take him off the list. Steve Angeli is the backup right now. Does he want to continue to wait it out? You got Kenny Minchie, a a good-looking young player. Is he going to be patient through this process so we'll have to see everybody reacts differently to information like this last year drew pine and tyler buckner decided to go a different direction they transferred to arizona state and alabama respectively steve angeli is he ready to be a starting quarterback somewhere maybe that's a possibility And it's not like he's out of the running to be the Notre Dame starting quarterback. Although if you're going to the portal, this is my way of thinking, and this may be just dead wrong. Maybe the coaches are looking at it differently. But if you're bringing in a quarterback, 
you're expecting him to be the starter, that he is going to be the guy, like when Sam Hartman was brought in. You're not bringing in a guy to battle for the backup job. So, yeah, Angeli and Minchie and Carr, they'll all have a chance to compete, but you would have to think the guy being brought in is being brought in in the anticipation that he would be your starting quarterback. Now, if someone beats him out, that's fabulous. That's even better. But with Marcus saying you want to bring in that fourth quarterback on scholarship, there's no guarantee you'll be at four once the portal process is complete. It'll just depend on the wants and the patience of the other quarterbacks on this Notre Dame roster, knowing that somebody else is going to be coming to town. Coach Freeman was asked today after making mention that you want to have four quarterbacks on scholarship, so yeah, let's go to the portal. Does he need to see more from the two guys that are next in line on the depth chart behind Hartman and Jelly and Minchie? Both bye weeks in that time he had versus Pitt, he's played at a, performed at a high level. And as I told Steve and Kenny, who's done a really good job in practice, that we owe it to this program to try to put four quarterbacks on scholarship. That's that's um, the number we have uh, allotted for now. We have three right now, right? And and but we've 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 had since I became a head coach and even before it, the number being four. And you know, and and if somebody transfers and. Then all of a sudden you're down to three, you're down three. But we want to try to cons- always have four guys on scholarship. But that has nothing to do in my beliefs. And Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie, um, both of those guys are, are are extremely talented. And I can see being the leader of our program as we move forward. There you go. Angeli Minchie, he can see them as leaders of the program going forward. Our second topic, let's focus more on the present day fighting Irish offense and the woes for the offense continued at Clemson. The last time the Irish were on the field, they had a pretty good running game in the first half. Didn't use it in the second half. The passing game did not work. They did not use the play action pass. It was an interesting day for the fighting Irish offense. And I want to give credit to the Notre Dame media today. They asked some really good questions to Marcus Freeman about the fighting Irish offense. Sometimes you hear fans say, well, he never gets asked the tough questions. He got asked about Parker's in-game adjustments. He got asked about not using Audric Estime in the second half. He got asked about why did you stop using the play-action pass after you said we need to take shots down the field. Those are just some of the things asked to Marcus Freeman today. So I thought the media asked very important questions. And I'm going to play back the audio. I, I think you'll agree you're going to hear some of the same answers you've gotten for the last month or so. Might be frustrating to you. Personally, I'm a little down today after that press conference. Not that I was expecting any changes in play caller, but I was just hoping for some different answers. So I'm I'm a little deflated after this press conference, to be honest. Maybe you look at it totally different. So let me start with this. When we talked about the Clemson game last week, 
I always started with this. Marcus Freeman told us last Monday, which was the Monday before the Clemson game, that this team has to take shots down the field. Even if you don't hit them, we have to take shots. Then the game is played against Clemson, and Notre Dame had two play-action passes and 36 dropbacks. Keeping in mind against Pittsburgh, the Irish had 173 passing yards off play-action pass. And with the way Notre Dame ran the ball in the first half against Clemson, I think we would all agree that there might have been some availability in the PA game when they were running the ball extremely well. Second half, you stopped running it, you couldn't do it. Plain and simple. So Marcus was asked today about, well, you told us you wanted to take shots and then you didn't against Clemson, so take us through the thinking of that game. So this is Marcus again talking about taking shots down the field on offense. You know, we want to be aggressive. We want to push the ball downfield at times, but what we can't have is three and outs. And we can't have a lack of execution and success. And so um, if we're able to push the ball downfield and, and complete or not complete it, but then continuous to establish drives and move the ball, then I'm okay with it. But when we're, we're not moving the ball or truly um, changing the field position or getting the points on the board that we need, then it's my job to come in and say, okay, what do we have to do to be efficient on offense, right? What do we have to do to make sure that we are moving the ball at a consistent basis on the offensive side of the ball? So from those comments, he said, we want to push the ball down the field. But we had too many three and outs because we needed better execution. And... Not keeping possessions alive, you're not flipping the field position. When you're running the ball as well as you did in the first half, what more do you need to take those opportunities down the field? And I guess where I get frustrated, and, you know, I sit in all these press conferences or back here in the studio anchoring them, so I hear everything that happens. Maybe you catch bits and pieces of all the press conferences, but I hear them all. And I guess I'm kind of to the point in all these press conferences, all we get back are questions in Marcus's answers. Well, what do we need to do? We are in week 10. 10 games are in the books. We're in week 11. Why are we still having these same questions asked by the head coach? Why are these things not changing? That's the concerning part to me. What do we need to do for the players to understand it better? What do we need to do to execute better? If it's not happened through 10 games, I mean, it may happen because of the opponent the last two weeks, but it's not going to change my opinion on what this offense is. So the continued questions back as answers just are frustrating. These things need to get solved rather than continuing to ask the same questions. And then it was brought up about the play-action pass. Why did that go away? Again, 173 yards in play-action against Pitt. They tried it twice against Clemson. You know, if if we could guarantee running play-action passes were going to get us first downs and yardage, we would do it. You know, and, and 
that's what we all have to understand. And I'll, and I'll keep going on this question, but we all have to understand it. Like, if there was a quick fix, an easy answer, just do this and you're going to win and get first downs, we all would do it. You know, that's why this game of football is so frustrating because you try to do things that you believe are going to help you have success and they don't always guarantee to have success. Let's move along to one more topic. I'll just let that be as it be. Tyler Horka, my next guest, asked Marcus about the usage of Audric Estime. 84 rushing yards in the first half. He got three carries in the second half. Kind of wrote that down. I thought that would be asked. And, and you know, the first series, um, he had one carry to, and we had a TD, right? In the second series, we wanted to get Jay Love in there and, and do some different things. There was a series with Jadarian that we wanted to get in there. The biggest thing is we weren't having success on first down. And so if you're not having success on first down, you're in a position where you probably have to throw the ball on second down. And if you're not getting a first down, then you can't sustain that drive. And so it's, it's more so the lack of efficiency on first down when you're going three out, three and out or four and out that, that really, to me, contributes to that. You know, Jay Love, we're going to get him a series. We're, I mean, he's a talented football player. we got to get the ball in his hands. Jadarian, we wanted to get him a series. You know, Audric was in there for, for a, a, maybe five series in the second half. but And we did give him the ball, but it was the lack of efficiency in, in first down or second down that led to us, okay, we got to throw the ball here to try to get a first down, and we weren't doing that. Of the first 15 first down plays, they ran it 13 times. That's predictable. And they weren't making enough progress on first down, which was the reason why they didn't get to Audric Estime. Maybe using Audric Estime on first down could have helped that. All right, finally. Injuries for the Irish. News today surrounding starting right guard Rocco Spindler. Knee surgery. He is out for the rest of the season. It looks like Billy Strouth will take over at right guard. Starting center Zeke Carell still in concussion protocol. And with Andrew Kristofik, the backup center, still dealing with a high ankle sprain. Third string Ashton Craig is in line to get the start for the Irish. So this could be the starting offensive line against Wake Forest. From left to right, Joe Alt, Pat Coogan, Ashton Craig, Billy Shrouth, and Blake Fisher. That is your injury update on this football team. Also, wide receiver Jaden Thomas, labeled by Marcus Freeman today, as back this week. The hamstring has been a major issue for JT. The Irish and Wake Forest, 3.30 kickoff on Saturday. Our pregame coverage will start at 9 a.m., Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light, live from Notre Dame Stadium, will air from 12 until 2.30. My next guest, Tyler Horka, will be a part of that broadcast team, along with Eric Hansen, live from Notre Dame Stadium. We'll take a timeout. We'll talk some pigskin with Tyler and get his response to what he asked Marcus Freeman today about the usage of Audric Estime. That and more on the way as Sportspeak continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the stripe. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. 
Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to estimate 10 5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. It is 26 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues here on WSBT Radio. My name is Darren Pritchett, joined by Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He joins me every Monday to talk Notre Dame football. And, of course, you'll hear Tyler on Saturday live from Notre Dame Stadium as part of our game day sports beat show brought to you by Bud Light, which airs from 12 until 2.30 before the Irish take on Wake Forest at 3.30. First question is, do you get the Pac-12 network for the Notre Dame-Stanford game if you weren't going? Uh, I don't think so. I obviously <laughs> had the same thought that a bunch of other Notre Dame fans had. Well, actually, my thought was, what the heck is the Pac-12 network? Because uh, it's about to not exist, but it might as well have not existed this entire time because I do not dabble in that channel. So glad I'll be there, Darren. Glad I will be there. Yes, indeed. Well, apparently it's going to be the last ever football live broadcast on the channel. <laughs> so they're going out with Notre Dame against Stanford. I mentioned this to our listeners a moment ago, and with you being a part of the press conference group that covers Notre Dame football each and every Monday with Marcus Freeman, I thought you guys asked some outstanding questions today, pressing Marcus on the state of this fighting Irish offense. You asked a question about the usage of Audric Estime, the Clemson game. He had 84 rushing yards in the first half, only three carries for five yards in the second half. Take away the touchdown after the Xavier Watts interception where he scored from two yards out. He had two carries for three yards the rest of the game and a game in which it was a one possession game throughout. Now I want to play just a small portion again of what Marcus had to say in response to your question about the usage of Audric Estime. So everybody give a listen. The biggest thing is we weren't having success on first down. And so if you're not having success on first down, you're in a position where you probably have to throw the ball on second down. And if you're not getting a first down, then you can't sustain that drive. And so it's, it's more so the lack of efficiency on first down when you're going three, out, three and out or four and out that, that really, to me, contributes to that. What was your thought process as you were hearing that answer? There was a part of the answer, and I, I don't think we just heard it there, where – Freeman said, we've got to be, if we're going to run those plays on first down, which were the plays to estimate, you know, a lot of them were just standard handoffs, then we've got to be better blocking. He's got to have better vision. There's all these little small parts of the play that has to be better for it to yield better results. And I get that. I I totally agree because obviously it wasn't working. Audrick Estime had those two long carries at the beginning of the game and then I prefaced my question to him, to Marcus Freeman, with his efficiency dipped. Why was that? And Marcus Freeman's right. It's because those first down plays weren't going the way Notre Dame wanted them to. What I should have, my follow-up should have been, and I, I, I kind of tried to ask this, but I said, what did you see on those first down plays? Why didn't they work? The question should have been, why are you still running those first down plays? Because I think 12 of Notre Dame's first 13 first down plays in that Clemson game were running plays. Predictable. That's predictable. You are asking a good Clemson defense, which Marcus Freeman gave in his answer to me as well. I agree with that part as well. This is a good Clemson defense. You're basically tipping your, your hat, showing your hand, and saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. And Clemson eventually 
figured it out and was stopping it every single time. So there is not a rule out there, Darren, that says you can't run Audric Estime on second down or you can't do play action or just even, even a standard passing play on first down. Marcus Freeman was complaining about the Irish offense being behind the sticks all the time. Well, yeah, it's because you're running straight into a Clemson defensive line and, and linebacker core that's feasting on these plays. And it's going to be second and nine every single time, even if you have a running back as good as Audrey Estimate. So I don't think it was an Audrey Estimate problem. It was Notre Dame being predictable and running him in situations when Clemson knew it was coming and then not running him at all thereafter. So I think that was a huge part in that ball game and, and definitely worth being asked about today. Well, you definitely, in that game, did not need to steal Notre Dame signs because they telegraphed what they were going to do throughout the ball game. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm being serious. You you laid it out perfectly there. Clemson made an adjustment, and there just wasn't a counter. And I give credit to uh, Jack Sobel, who had the stat today that against Pittsburgh, the Irish had 173 passing yards off play action. I saw someone else do some stat work that Notre Dame in the mm-hmm. shotgun on play action passes this year are completing 64% of their throws. So those have been highly productive, which makes the fact they had two play action passes in that Clemson game even more mind-boggling when you started to see Clemson sit on that run game. A play action pass on first down, Tyler, that could have been, could have been something that helped first down efficiency when things got bogged down. Yeah, absolutely. And I I didn't like this quote from Marcus Freeman either when he said, if you could guarantee me that a play action pass is going to work, then we'll do it. Well, Marcus, we're not sure if it will or if it won't because you, you guys just aren't doing it. Like two times is not a big enough sample size to know like, hey, yeah, this is going to work. But guess what? As you pointed out, my colleague Jack Sobel did the research and he found that there was a large enough sample size against Pitt to show that it absolutely worked. 173 passing yards on play action passes. I think it was eight of uh, Sam Hartman was eight of 10. Maybe he, you'll take those numbers every single time. What you won't take is only two total play action passes. And I think those plays uh, only yielded four yards. If, if Jack Sobel's um, work is correct. So obviously those aren't prolific plays by any means, but Man, if you're telling me that Notre Dame stops doing play action in that game just because they only picked up four yards on the first two times they tried it, then you're not coaching a football team the way you should. It's a 60-minute game for a reason. You have all of these opportunities for reasons. You're supposed to be able to go out there and, and execute on them. And, Darren, here's another thing about play action in that game specifically. I think you had three freshman defensive backs out there for Clemson, yeah. and, yes, they played well, and, yes, they're talented. They play well on that side of the ball. In an eight-point game, you are literally just one DB biting on a play that he can't bite on, and the ball goes over his head, and Notre Dame scores a long touchdown. That, that's the difference between you winning, tying, whatever, lo- eventually losing that football game. So I think there are opportunities to make those uh, very inexperienced players pay, and Notre Dame didn't even try. Blue and Gold's Tyler Horkin, my guest here on WSBT Radio. As the press conference takes place, I'm back in the studio anchoring the coverage, and I'm actually cutting up the audio after each question. And I went back this afternoon and listened to every question about the offense three times because I want to make sure I'm hearing everything properly, I'm not misconstruing something. And my analysis is this. 
Tyler. This is Darren's opinion. This is not nobody else's opinion. But after listening to all those cuts three times today, I am 100% convinced Jared Parker is back as offensive coordinator next year unless someone up above pulls the trigger on that. Yeah, and this was kind of – you mentioned it. I mean, it was a very offense-driven press conference in terms of what the media was asking, but it, it did feel a little soon to give the straight-up Jared Parker question. And I think his name actually did come up. It might have been Pete Sampson of The Athletic, who actually did – Yes. mentioned Jared Parker by name and it was a In good game question. He was asking about, yeah. Right. Yeah. There was some counter punching against NC state. It led to 45 points against what is honestly still a, a decent defense. I mean, that's a decent power five defense and Notre Dame was able to, to get those chunk plays, especially in the passing game that you want. Where has that been lately? Yeah. There hasn't been that counter punching. So yeah, just in terms of the way the media asked the question today and the way that Marcus Freeman answered them, I mean, a week ago, everyone was convinced that Jared Parker is out for sure. And then today, it kind of felt, especially from Freeman's side, status quo, like business business as normal. We're going to figure this out. I like who I have. Uh, we're going to go get a fourth scholarship quarterback, and, and maybe that's going to be the answer. But, man, it, it wasn't the answer with Sam Hartman and Jared Parker in year one of the Jared Parker experiment. I, I don't see how a quarterback could be Parker's saving grace in year two. So, I mean, this is, Darren, there, there's still two opportunities this season and then in the bowl game if he's still around as well for, for things to continue to trend downward. And if they do, um, yeah, right now if I had to say Jared Parker would probably be back, but I, I am not ruling out disaster against Wake Forest or Stanford and Marcus Freeman eventually having to make that decision. Like there, there's 12 games in a season for a reason. We've got to see what happens in these next two. Uh, and all eyes are definitely going to be on Jared Parker. And, Tyler, things will look different on Saturday with the entries along the offensive line. Right guard Rocco Spindler is out for the season due to knee surgery. Your top two centers are out right now. Zeke Carell, concussion protocol. Andrew Kristofik, high ankle sprain. Maybe someone comes back, but you could have third stringer Ashton Craig as your starting center on Saturday. So when you think about trying to take steps forward with this fighting Irish offense, you know, you're going to have a new look offensive line on Saturday, which, which could, could be challenging for this team. Yeah. I mean, you definitely can't understate how important cohesion and all of that is along the offensive line, save for that little blip at Louisville, which I still contend will be one of the strangest things that's happened in a, in a season full of strange things. Um, this is a shakeup unlike we've seen even that time it eventually got back to Corral at center and the two guards being who they were all year this is like you said a major shakeup where you are putting out a guy who's never started a game at center and then Billy Shrout obviously he wasn't ready to to start this year that's why he lost his starting job in fall camp and now now he's starting as well so I, I do agree with Marcus Freeman that Aston Craig looks good against Clemson, but sometimes, you know, you don't know what can be bad for you if you go into a game like that and you say, well, I haven't had time to think about what it would be like me playing in this game, so I'm not nervous or anything. I'm just going to play, and that's what it looked like Eston Craig did. He just played. Now he's got – he's had two weeks to kind of think, oh, man, like I am starting on senior day, and there are going to be a lot of people watching me, and my, my play is going to be scrutinized in a way that it wasn't when I just came off the pinch and came in in a pinch, so – a lot of curiosity there, what the connection with Ashton Craig and Sam Hartman looks like. And then, like I said, with Billy Trout, too. 
I mean, when guard play is bad, it's noticeable. And Sam Hartman, we, we've seen that he's not the most elusive guy in terms of avoiding sacks. So when things go in a downward spiral for the offensive line, Sam Hartman is a quarterback that tends to be affected by that more, more than some of these mobile guys. So uh, Wake Forest defense isn't the stoutest in the world in the country, but, I mean, we've seen when, when this Notre Dame offensive line doesn't play great, it, it can lead to some bad things. And there's a couple guys that really have to come up and, and step in and step up in a pinch. I want to ask you about the transfer porter, Tyler, but as I do, I noticed that one of my viewers on the Twitch app said that Parker is just lost and Freeman needs to stop referencing execution. Can they even get a quarterback that wants to transfer after seeing this this year? Yeah. So I guess we found out today Marcus Freeman wants to go to the portal and bring in a fourth scholarship quarterback. What do you think that looks like? And let me ask this, because I think it's always something we have to think about. There's no guarantee when you get to four, it stays at four. Yeah, no, I, I think that is the rhetoric that Freeman is really pushing this time around. I feel like last year, even though we, we still weren't starting these conversations at this point last year, it really intensified after that UFC game, I think. I mean, it, it became clear, hey, coaches had the meeting with Drew Pine. Drew Pine's out. Okay, now all, I, all eyes are on Tyler Buckner. It turns out he leaves four months, five, five months later than Pine did, but he eventually leaves as well. It could be very similar this time around, but it all depends on who Notre Dame gets. If they get a Sam Hartman type, you know, alpha male, five, five years in college football, most of those as a starter, all of, the, all of these numbers, name recognition, everyone who knows who he is, then that's when you look at Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie and say, okay, Ball's in your court now. Are you going to skedaddle like those other two guys did, or are you in this for the long haul? Because, yeah, Marcus Freeman could keep pushing four scholarships, four scholarships. That can go down to, to three. I don't think you're going to see it go down to two. Like, I don't, I don't see Angeli and Minty leaving, but maybe one of them do if, if the alpha guy comes in and it is basically assured that that guy's going to start. Because that's what the Sam Hartman situation was. Look, you didn't get Sam Hartman to sit behind Tyler Buckner. You just didn't. And we could talk about the quarterback competition that wasn't, but it, it wasn't really one. Same thing could maybe be true this year, or they could get a guy who, hey, I can beat that guy. Because that's some things that are lost on, on Steve Angeli is that th there's probably more people out on him than are in on him. But I know for a fact that Steve Angeli is, is all the way in on himself. So he might say, hey, this isn't Sam Hartman, and I'm a junior now. I'm not a sophomore. I, I can beat that guy. So it Darren, it all depends on who it is, where they get him from, you know, just, just kind of the optics and the, and the reality of the situation. So I, I'm intrigued myself to see who it is because that's when the dominoes start falling. It all depends on who that guy is. It was Sam Hartman for Notre Dame this time around, and we saw what happened. It could either go that way or it can go a completely different way where you do keep everything intact and you have four scholarship guys all from different classes who are trying to compete compete to be that QB1. We all know the prestige of Notre Dame, and there are lots of people that would love to be the quarterback at Notre Dame. Do you have any concerns that the some of the shine is off the quarterback position right now because of the state of this offense and the direction it's going? Yeah, I mean, th these are not stupid kids that Notre Dame's looking at, and 
quarterbacks tend to be some of the most cerebral guys on the football field anywhere you go. And if you look at Notre Dame right now, I mean, this isn't this isn't even like Sam Hartman's perception, for instance, two and a half months, two months ago on top of the world. But a lot can change really quickly. He's thrown seven interceptions to just four touchdown passes in his last five games. It hasn't been good. And people see that. And I think these, these quarterbacks see that. So I'll answer it this way. If it would have continued on the way it was for Sam Hartman in those first four games, then absolutely. Yeah. I think you say, hey, let's run it back with, with somebody else. We, we can get somebody and do the same exact thing. Now, with the way that it's gone in the last six games, you're not sure if you can get that guy. And that guy that you want might be thinking, why would I go somewhere where Sam Hartman – I'm not saying Sam Hartman totally tanked his NFL stock or the perception about him, but I will say that it's not as good as it was coming out of that NC State game when mm-hmm. Notre Dame was, four, I think, 4-0 at that point. So, yeah, no, it's definitely something to consider where maybe people are seeing this and saying – I could probably go somewhere else and and get just as much monetarily for my draft stock, whatever it may be. I mean, second thoughts are occurring to these kids. I would pretty confidently say that. Wake Forest has lost five of six. They fell to North Carolina State 26-6. to They didn't pick up a first down until under six minutes to go in the second quarter. They changed quarterbacks in the second quarter. It looks like a yeah. football team, Tyler, coming to South Bend that is in disarray, which might be just what the doctor ordered around here. Yeah, Notre Dame plays well at home. So I'm really not all too worried about this game for Notre Dame. And they've kind of responded well to some of these losses as well. So – Everything is, is definitely going right for Notre Dame just in terms of intangibles, even though they're coming off that loss. You're at home. I think Sam Hartman knows his opponent and is going to rise up to that. And the opponent obviously knows Sam Hartman as well, but this is a different system that Notre Dame is running with Sam Hartman. Wake Forest is still Wake Forest. They're just a lesser version of Wake Forest because they don't have Sam Hartman. You mentioned the quarterback swapping. That's been going on all year for Wake Forest, so – this Notre Dame defense is still who it is, too. I know there were a few plays that they would want back against Clemson, but the offense did the Irish no favors. The Irish offense did the Irish defense no favors in that game. I think you kind of see everything go right for Notre Dame in this one. So I'm, I'm, I'm really not all that worried about it. But, Darren, it could be another one of those games where the Irish offense struggles to get 300 yards, but the defense and maybe even the special teams do so many things for it to be a, a comfortable win for the Irish. And, hey, when you're in – middle of November, you kind of know who you are by now, and that's who the Irish are. They're, they're going to lean on that defense, get a couple big plays from that defense, and the Irish offense doesn't do a whole have to do a whole lot to beat a team that's struggling as much as Wake Forest is. Yeah, I started putting together my Irish preview for Friday morning here on WSBT Radio, and I wrote down my final score prediction of Notre Dame scoring 34 points, and it felt awkward predicting that much, but considering where Wake Forest is and the fact that Notre Dame should be able to run the football in this game, I feel like they should get there, but my goodness, it it feels like it's a bit of a crapshoot when you start predicting scores into the 30s with this team against at least an average defense. Yeah, I didn't expect Notre Dame to score, was it 58 or 51? How many was it against Pitt? I don't even remember. It was a 50-burger. I know that. And I didn't expect them to score 48 against USC, but that's what I'm talking about. When you get some of those 
uh, scores in other phases of the game, yep. you can get there. And I, I do think the Irish offense, it, again, it's probably not going to be a prolific day in terms of yards, but they're going to get a couple big plays being at home. And I don't expect this one to be particularly close. I don't really expect it to be particularly pretty either. But again, that's kind of who Notre, Notre Dame is right now. What's happening at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com this week? Definitely have a lot of stuff from the press conference that kind of dominated our talk today. So a lot of that went up today. Some of it will go up tomorrow. Tomorrow's our big Wake Forest preview day. So if you want to know more about those struggling Demon Deacons, then we'll have that for you at blueandgold.com. And then uh, I, I think the Notre Dame women's basketball team could be really special this season, even though last week didn't go the way that it wanted to against South Carolina. They have something really, really special in Hannah Hidalgo who had uh, 12 steals over the weekend in the Irish's first victory of the season. So they opened their season, uh, the, the home portion of their season on Wednesday night. And I will be there to cover that. So it's that crossover period, you know, Darren, November can be a busy time when covering college. Yeah. And we've got it all covered at blueandgold.com. Really appreciate your time tonight, Tyler, talking Notre Dame football again. Thanks for the great question earlier today, and we will see you at the stadium on Saturday. All right, see you then. Thanks, Darren. You bet. Thank you. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. It is 5.55. Sports Beat is being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. By Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. And South Bend Orthopedics trusted in the community for 75 years. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Six o'clock at WSBT South Bend. I'm Darren Pritchett. Our Twitter question of the day from Friday. If Notre Dame had the chance to replay their three losses, which game would they most likely win the second time around? Here are the choices I gave you. Ohio State, Louisville, Clemson, or your fourth choice, they would still lose to all three teams. This was a really interesting vote. It did not turn out the way I expected. So, fourth place in the voting, getting 9%, was the fan base believing that Notre Dame would still lose all three games if they were replayed. Ohio State's gotten better since Notre Dame has played them. Clemson, Louisville, There's a mixture of issues from that game that I'm not sure are fixable or would have been fixed. So 9% went with still lose all three. Third place in the voting, getting 20% of the vote. If replayed a second time, the Clemson Tiger game, Notre Dame would win it. 
it would have to be a reevaluation of the game plan on offense to win that game. Second place in the voting, getting 32%, the Louisville game, a game in which Coach Freeman said that the team was not fully prepared for that contest. And the fact that Louisville lost to Pittsburgh just makes you believe <laughs> that might be one Notre Dame could win the next time around. But winning the vote, does this surprise you? 39% believe of the games Notre Dame lost, the game they would most likely win the second time around is Ohio State. The Buckeyes got 39% of the vote. And if you play it now, I think Ohio State wins by a bigger margin. They have gotten better. While Notre Dame has taken a step back from where they were in that Ohio State game. If you play it that day, maybe. I think right now I'm just, my expectation level is so low right now that I can't even get myself to (laughs) think about the possibility of them being able to get it done the next time. I mean, they were a second away from winning, so sure, I get it, but I guess I'm looking at the question, if they play it right now, Ohio State, there's no way they win that game. The Irish against Ohio State again. Maybe if you play it on the day it happened, I think that's probably the direction people were going, so I guess that makes a little more sense as I talk my way through it. But Ohio State, 39%, Louisville, 32 Clemson, 20 Still lose all three, got 9%. Mm. Okay, today's question, which is available on my Twitter X account, at 960SportsBeat. Of these choices, what will be the top storyline in the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game? Choice number one, Sam Hartman throws for two or more touchdown passes. Number two, the Irish run for over 200 yards. Number three, the offense will still have an up-and-down day. Twitter X... Go to at 960SportsBeat to vote results on tomorrow's program. We're going to talk a little college basketball in our next segment. One of the assistant coaches for Western Carolina who beat Notre Dame on Saturday is a local product. We'll talk to Western Carolina assistant coach Ryan Lightfoot coming up in a moment. Sports update on the way from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Let's talk some college basketball for a little bit. I'm joined by Ryan Lightfoot, Western Carolina assistant coach. And Western Carolina came to South Bend and beat the Fighting Irish on Saturday, 71-61. You might know him as the all-time leading scorer in Northwood history, over 2,000 points at Bethel College, and spent a little time as Director of Player Development at Grand Canyon, now at Western Carolina. Ryan, it's great It's great to talk to you. First of all, I know it's a game day for you, so we're recording this earlier in the afternoon. But wonderful to talk to you. How are you and your family? Oh, we're great. I appreciate you having us on the show and allowing me to just get the opportunity to invest back in the community that has been a big part of my life for so long. Well, first, Ryan, tell me the emotions of yourself and your team 
coming to South Bend, taking on an ACC opponent and walking away with a 10-point victory? Man, it's always great to get back in the community. It's great to get back home. Like for me, you know, just it's a special place. I've spent so much of my life in, in that area watching my dad coach in Bethel for so long. And now you're back there and it's just a whirlwind. It was, you, you go back, you got trying to balance family, you're trying to balance being back around friends. At the same time, you got a game to coach. And so I guess a really good team, a well coached team, and, and a lot of talent. So it was, a, it was a whirlwind for sure. I'm just wondering what worked so well for you guys. You have a plan coming into a game. What worked out maybe just the way you guys thought it might? You know, we think we got really good guards. We got a lot of experience. We have nine guys that have had over four years of college experience. And that's for the benefit of the COVID year. We got a lot of guys that are old and experienced and been through battle tested. We're able to retain a lot of our talent. So going into a, a game where, where Coach Shrewsbury's done a great job recruiting talent, and, and they've got a very talented roster and young kids that can make plays. Obviously, Marcus and I grew up watching these guys. And so being around them and just understanding the, the opportunity that's in front of them. And, but we felt like our guys and their experience is going to be something that we could really lean on. And, and when they made their run late and the crowd got into it and got loud in there, our experience really shows. Ryan, I know you guys play tonight. What's it like as a coaching staff being with an older team, which is valuable, but coming off such a great win, now focusing on that next contest? What about 48 hours later? Man, it's so hard because you look at those situations, you want to enjoy it. You want to, you know, Western Carolina is 3-51 and 51 all time against high major schools. And so you wow. think about the accomplishment that that was we really want to enjoy it. And all of a sudden we got to turn the page and now we're playing a really good middle Tennessee state team. Who's 31 and two at home. And we've got to go there in their place and try to be a spoiler. But that, that, that's the joy of having a uh, experienced group. They're one of those teams that, that, that loves the win, loves the approach, loves the process. And so now we're in the situation now where we're sitting in a hotel, getting ready for game day. Ryan Lightfoot, assistant coach at Western Carolina, my guest. Can you just offer a perspective, Ryan, on this Notre Dame basketball team? You watched them on tape. You watched them live. Obviously, you got Coach Shrewsbury rebuilding this program, almost entirely new faces on the roster. What do you feel like are some of the things that really stood out to you that they can build on going forward? One of the things that really stood out to me was just how disciplined they were as a group. They know their roles. They've got great role definition early. Their, their players play extremely hard. They're locked in. You could just tell, even watching the press conferences, the trust that they've built with their staff. And, and you can see those players have bought in completely to what he's building, the culture that he has, and, and honestly, just the talent that he's had at that group. They're going to be extremely talented in a couple of years. If you know, just continue to retain them, develop them. You can tell the buy-in and what he's building. You can see the other side of it. Being on the other sideline, you can see like, oh shoot! Uh, if they ask us to play in a couple of years, our answer is absolutely not. <laughs> right. I tell you what. I saw some pictures on social media. It looks like the Western Carolina team got some home cooking before the ball game. So does does mom get some of the credit for this victory? Yeah, no. I know. Nelson's chicken. We we will support ah. Nelson's chicken all day long. So they're, they're a great supporter for us and allowed us to get a little pregame meal. I, my grandma was baking cookies. My mom was making dishes. <laughs> it was cool. It was unique to be driving up 31 with a different team. You know, you're used to being in the Bethel bus yep. going on 31 all the time. I'm looking around. I was like, we're wearing purple, not blue. This is a little bit different. And so, but going to those same familiar territories and my pa my family grew up doing those things. They grew up 
cooking for food and, and, and teams coming in. And, and I think that's the fun part of what they do. And, and, and they love throwing a party. And they, lifeless can throw a party. Yeah. What intrigued you, Ryan, about the Western Carolina program? I think just Coach Gray and his vision, you know, the, the, what, building something special. I think what, one of the things that I've had a great experience of is, one, I worked for my dad for so long, and Bethel was already established and built. It was already a brand. And you go to Grand Canyon, the resources, and Coach Drew and what he's done. But, but what Coach Gray wants to build and, and the expectations of Western Carolina, just saying that there, there wasn't a ton of expectations of the program. Could we go there and build and do something unique that hasn't been done before? You think about those records, three and fifty-one against high major teams. Like, can we go do something that no one thinks we can do? And, and Coach Gray's vision and, and the way that he runs the program and the core values and running a faith-based program, all those things are something that I was really drawn to. Well, I tell you what, Ryan, I have a great appreciation for Scott Drew, of course, the head coach at Grand Canyon. You worked for him as director of player development. What was that experience like, and and what did you take away from that experience that could be helping you? right now as you move into an assistant coaching role man the the, the drew family is so special with the lightfoots you know just yeah. how homer was at bethel before my dad coached my dad there and having scott at baylor and bryce at grand canyon it's one of those situations where you look at it, it's like man it felt like family and one of the things that bryce did a really good job of is is really trying to bring that family environment that core values and those idea of what it looks like to run a program of clean program, run a program that, that does things the right way, that develops people on and off the court. Those are the things that you can look at and bring into a, to a program that he teaches so much. I meant to say Bryce. I think I said Scott, so let me correct myself. I, I meant to say Bryce Drew out there at Grand Canyon. And, Ryan, that fan base out there is absolutely bonkers, I mean, to see the support you guys got and when you made the NCAA tournament. I mean, it was a, a big deal for Grand Canyon to make the tournament. They have committed to basketball, and you can tell that from the environment they create, the resource that they give you, the support that you have. And so it's been awesome to watch them continue to be successful. You know, when I was at Western Carolina this past year, watching them go to the tournament with guys like Walter Ellis, who are local products as well, get a chance to enjoy being being on the biggest stage in college basketball and now being a really good team again, got a chance to watch them play again yesterday, being 3-0. and And so they're building something special out there as well. Coach Drew's done an unbelievable job and has great support and great staff and great players to do it as well. Ryan, how would you put into perspective uh, the importance of getting to work for your dad or maybe just father and son talking about basketball, those experiences through the years, how do you put that into perspective, what that has meant to you? It's really hard to put in perspective because it's one of those things that I've just taken for granted for so long. And then you look back at your life and you're like, man, how blessed was I to kind of grow up around a team, grow up on a bus, grow up around practices and be a part of all the unique experiences that a team gets to do. And so uh, it's so valuable. A lot of times you, you take for granted who your dad is and what he's accomplished because to me he's just that. Even when I played for him, he was dad. And so now, now getting the opportunity to be in a situation, it's like, man, when I need something or I got a question about something or we're dealing with something as a team, I can just use him and call him up. And well, how would you handle this? What would you do this? Yep. What did you do when I was being a turd in practice? <laughs> do you act or sound like him at times? Oh, I said the, the one thing I've said and I've kicked myself for <laughs> is his big saying was the wider the base, the, the higher the pyramid. 
the first time I said it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm turning into my dad. <laughs> well, I was actually surprised that the Cubs hired Craig Council as the new manager. I assume Mike was in line for that job. Maybe he turned it down. Maybe he just he didn't want to mess with that at this time. He's just going to stay retired. I think his agent was in contract negotiations, and they just decided to go a different route. <laughs> you know, Ryan, I know you have to stay in the moment. You have to think about the next game. But do you have, like, a thought of what this Western Carolina team could be as this season goes on? Do you guys have a good feel of what you might be able to become? Our goal is to just get better every day. We yep. thought we did a really good job last year of just maximizing our roster. This, we have a talented roster. We feel like we've got eight, nine starters. And so just being able to get them to gel and mesh and see what the ceiling is. I think one of the best things is when you got a group that believes and is diving into the culture of what we've created and have talent to support it, we don't know what the ceiling is, but we know whatever it is, we're going to try to maximize this group. Mm. I'm just wondering, since you're now recruiting, you know, over a big geographical area, is there a – do the, the players on your team, do they understand what Indiana high school basketball is all about? Who's your hysteria? Because I think when I was growing up in Illinois, Ryan, I had a perspective of who's your hysteria because they used to show the state title game on ESPN. I'm like, wow, there's like 30-some thousand people watching a high school game? That's not something you see every day. So what about the people around the university or the players? Do they – understand what Hoosier hysteria is all about man it was so unique even prepping for Notre Dame you look at those guys like Logan Ives you look at guys like Shrewsbury and Marcus and we're trying to show clips you know we only had one game to really look at against Niagara and we're trying to say like okay how do we get clips how do we show what they do and we obviously we had a lot of clips from Marcus and what he did his first game setting the record but we also showed their, their high school clips and what he did in high school and they start looking at like hold on coach that's a high school gym like Pan, Pan, that's a high school gym, Zionsville. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's an arena. Yeah, it is. It's, they've got great fan support. And, and then hearing how loud it got, the backing of what the uh, fan base was at Notre Dame and just how much they loved the run and the team. And it, it got loud in that gym. They're like, man, coach, this is, this is for real. They, they love their basketball here. Hmm. Final question for you, Ryan. I greatly appreciate your time on a game day today, but I promised your dad I would ask this, and your dad is always good about on social media to talk about the pillow collection that your mom has. I mean, are you pro pillows in the, in the Lightfoot house? Are you more excited I, about the pillows than he is? No, I, I'm, I'm on the same boat as him. She can take those pillows back. I'm not a big fan of the pillows. I, there's nowhere to sit. Like, where am I supposed to sit at with 14 pillows on the couch? <laughs> Boy, oh boy, we need to have someone do a news story on this. There's obviously something developing in the Lightfoot household right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that story can be left behind. I, I think every single time we're trying to give those things out when anybody comes over the house, like, take a pillow for the road, take a pillow for the road. <laughs> There's going to be some great garage sale at some point, and you're going to make millions, I have a feeling. But, hey, Ryan, thanks for doing this on a game day. Greatly appreciated, and, you know, congratulations to you and the Western Carolina team. I know that victory over Notre Dame means a lot to the – the university, the team itself, and the Western Carolina community, and, and continued success with this Western Carolina program. We'll be watching from, you know, far away, seeing the progress of your basketball team and see how you're doing. 
no, I appreciate you having having me on and allowing me the conversation. But, man, the, the Notre Dame fan base has a lot to look forward to. They've got a great young talent. They've got a great coach. And they're going to continue to get better every day. Very good. Ryan, great to catch up with you. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Darren. I appreciate you. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. at WSBT. Sportsbeat continues on this Monday evening. Caveman Corner coming up at the top of the hour. Monday Night Football, the Denver Broncos visiting the Buffalo Bills. Pre-game coverage starts at 745. Broncos, Bills, a big part of our sports wagering segment, which is coming up in a couple of moments. Well, credit to the Michigan Wolverine football team amidst all of the stuff happening around the program. They went out and played a really solid football game in Happy Valley, beating number 10 Penn State on Saturday, a game in which they did not throw a pass after what the 731 mark of the second quarter. A, that tells you all they needed to do was run the football. B, the Penn State offense did not scare them in the least bit. And Drew Allard just really struggling right now. The offensive coordinator for Penn State was fired over the weekend. So Penn State, they beat everybody it seems like. But Michigan and Ohio State, they just can't get over the hump. For Michigan, it was the first of a three-game suspension for head coach Jim Harbaugh. The Big Ten handed down the suspension, not necessarily against Harbaugh for the sign-stealing allegations. It was a penalty against the university and after the game the interim head coach was extremely emotional talking about winning this for Jim and it almost felt like at times this weekend that the Michigan family were mourning the death of Jim Harbaugh by the way they reacted to this victory they feel like it's Michigan against the world right now, that everybody is out to get them. They're coming across as the victims when, if all the facts that are being gathered proves that Michigan broke these rules, then there is no reason to play the role of the victim. I want to play this for you. First, Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan head coach, meeting the media today because he is the head coach of Michigan, except on game day, he's not at the game, was asked about where Michigan is right now. And I'm going to follow that up with Colin Coward, who was heard on WSBT radio right before me, gushing like he's one of those Michigan guys, one of the victims. So give a listen to this 90 seconds of sound. Watson, I would have to say, I mean, everybody... It's got to be America's team. It's got to be America's team. America, America loves a team that, that uh, you know, beats the odds, beats the adversity, you know, overcomes what the naysayers and, you know, critics, so-called experts think. Um, that's my favorite kind of team. And, yeah, watching it from, from that view on the television, I, it was finally people get to see what I see every day. You know, and these players and these coaches. 
I don't know if he's trolling, but that's the greatest speech in the history of college football. That's better than the, the Gipper, Newt Rock, me, whoever made a big speech. That's the greatest speech in the history of college football. I, I want from now on the Gipper, Newt Rock, me, maybe even the same guy. Who knows? That second. Harbaugh's speech is now the speech. This should be America's team. He's right, by the way. That's how I felt. I stood at allegiance. I almost stood up watching that game Saturday. I Honestly, I watched that game. I haven't felt that way about a football no. team that I have no connection to. They just said, we're not going to pass the ball. We're going to win on our terms in your place. We're not even going to we're not even going to throw the ball. And they just said, no, we're Michigan. And by the way, they have a first round NFL quarterback. We're not even going to allow him to throw. What a great win for America. A great win for America. I should have asked everyone to grab a vomit bag before I played that soundbite because I I get it being in the radio business. There are many people in our industry that will say things to catch your attention, catch you off guard, sometimes make you mad, make you furious. So there is that group of people in my business that that do that. And a national guy like Colin, I guess, at times feels like he has to go down that route. Personally, I don't really believe he believes what he was saying there. That just felt like with so many people going against Harbaugh, I'm going to go on his side and play that side. Because he was right about one thing. Michigan has a first-round type quarterback in J.J. McCarthy, and they didn't even use him to throw the football over most of the game. Michigan is good enough to win that way against a team like Penn State. Again, Alaire was really struggling throwing the football. There was no sense from my standpoint that Penn State was going to put forth a great offensive performance in that game. And I credit the Michigan players for staying locked in and focused amidst all of the chaos surrounding the program outside of their locker room. But to call this a win for America, a weekend in which we celebrate Veterans Day, where we truly honor great Americans for what they sacrificed for our country, to bring in a win for America makes me sick to my stomach. That was a great win for Michigan amidst the chaos chaos that it appears they created themselves this is not somebody else causing them headaches if all the things that are being reported are accurate and we always have to take that for granted sometimes we have to I guess take it with a grain of salt what I'm trying to say if it's all true then they did it to themselves and no they are not the victims in this situation they committed the crimes. Now, good for Michigan. They won. They're 10-0. and They've got Maryland this week on the road, and then they take on the Ohio State Buckeyes in a play-in game, basically, for the college football playoffs. Maybe both get in again. I'm not banking on it as much this time around. But Michigan, you're doing a great job of trying to make everybody feel sorry for you, and I just don't think it's working except for one national talk show host.
6.43 is our time. Budweiser's weekday sports speed on Sports Radio 960 W. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 